Hello, everyone. It's Adasha Townsend of the Feasts and Fashion Podcast. I'm a longtime food and beverage journalist who's worked with some of the top brands in the world. With each podcast episode, I want to introduce you to fascinating people in the culinary world. My very first guest is Jesse Sierra Ross, a former professional ballerina who's turned all of her creative energy into her food-focused blog, Straight to the Hips Baby. Welcome, Jesse, to the Feast and Fashion Podcast. It is an absolute honor to be here and to be the very first one. I feel my performer juices coming up, and I'm so excited to talk everything cocktails and recipes and lifestyle, and of course, my background as a professional ballerina. Yeah, so talk about that, first of all. I mean, as a professional ballerina, of course, you're on a very strict diet. How long, I mean, how long have you been, had you been a ballerina before you um, made the transition? So it's a very interesting uh, sort of backstory. So I began training in ballet at age five, realized that I wanted to become a professional at age seven, and then achieved that goal through a lot of training by age 14 when I signed my first contract to dance with a professional ballet company in Boston. And I went right through into my pretty much late 20s with a small interruption to attend a prestigious dance program in Pennsylvania and earn my degree in ballet and came back and start teaching. But as you said, it's a very restrictive sort of life. Your life becomes art. Everything with music, movement, dance, how you look, particularly you become sort of uh, enraptured by what you see in the mirror for good or ill. Um, I had a great background, a great upbringing that, you know, it kept my head on my shoulders, but I would be lying if I said that there wasn't a lot of pressure to maintain a certain body image. And at 5'7 and 125 pounds, um, I was considered not quite skinny <laughs> in that profession. Um, I was a, that is a size two. And my transition, uh, I think, into food was sort of a rebellion. I wanted to grab on to everything sugar and fatty and cocktails and really embrace life. Okay. And as a creative person, it was kind of, it was kind of a, not a natural transition because they're so opposite. I know how strict those diets are with uh, professional dancers, but as a creative person, it was easy for you to just get your creative juices flowing. And I want you to talk about that. Absolutely. This is what I really love because uh, I started this blog as an outlet. I am, I'm the mother of three small children. I have a, a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old, all boys. So it's a lot of Legos and Minecraft here. So I wasn't getting that um, same creative outlet. I needed a, a way to converse with the outside world. We had moved from an inner city to the country life. And I'll be frank, I was doing a little stir crazy. I needed something for me. And I've always enjoyed cooking and suddenly I had time. And when I started styling photographs, I realized that I took my aesthetic from the stage of clean lines, lush colors, uh, femininity without a lot of fuss and inserted it into my styling and into my recipes because my recipes are very thought out. They are made so that you can follow them and nothing is left to any guesswork because I encountered so many recipes where I didn't understand what I was supposed to have as the end result. And that's where the photographs come in. And so my husband is very talented. This is his second job, his, his hobby that's turned into a second job. Okay. And he's created these photographs. I've styled these photographs and I've, bring, I've brought the drama from the stage to the plate. 
I love it. The drama from the stage to the plate. And your plates are absolutely gorgeous. How uh, long did it take you to make this transition and like really learn uh, these skills, these culinary skills that you've gained so thoroughly? Well, you know, we started this blog back in 2015-ish as a hobby, and it was a learning process. I took two or three years off after the birth of my third child because suddenly I didn't have time to do much of anything. Mm. But we picked it up about 18 months ago. And I think that period of time where I was sort of incubating, I was reading, I was watching, I was researching, and I came to this aha moment where we started plating, and I didn't need to be like anyone else. I could shoot light and bright. I could create uh, bright colors that made me happy because that's my personality. I was originally trying to style and shoot in a a method that was beautiful. I admire it, but I didn't do it well. This I did well, and I loved it. And we've taken this theory of light and bright and lush and still being sort of minimalistic. We don't have a ton of props to... um, sort of prop up the food in the sense, mm-hmm. like we, we focus on that food, we focus on the color, the richness, the textures, and above all, light and bright. So I would say about, uh, it took us seven months after our rebranding, and it, we've just kept on going. We just have this groove now. Wow. So uh, where, where exactly do you live again? So I live out in the Berkshires in South Hadley, Massachusetts, but I'm originally a native Bostonian. Right, right. Okay. So are you around a lot of farms, a lot of lush land? Yes, you've hit it right on the head. I it used to be I'd go to the grocery store and pluck apples off the, you know, the display cases. Now I can go to the trees <laughs> and pluck the apples right from there. I live in uh, an incredibly rich and diverse food culture out here of both food producers, farmers, but also creative chefs. And it's really blossoming and it's a farm to table atmosphere and it creates, you you have to work to create these relationships with the farmers and producers around you, but you will not be disappointed. I mean, I have never tasted tomatoes that have tasted like tomatoes before or fresh apples. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, blueberries off the bush and it's, it's one of those simple pleasures that you don't realize that you're missing. So I wanted to embrace that sort of concept and meld it with a very sort of um, contemporary feel uh, with our photography. Uh, But still, you know, it's interesting. Our recipes still maintain their roots and those flavors that are approachable. They're almost familiar so that you really see and recognize these foods and flavors, but they're, they're elevated, they're lightened. Uh, so they become something even more. Give me some examples of some of the what some of those dishes look like and look and feel like, and why were you inspired by them? So one of the dishes um, I created way back when I was a newlywed, and I was I, I'm a self-taught cook. I had the basics from my mother, but truly did not know how to cook. And I, I played around with a dish. It's a Hungarian classic, chicken paprikash. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a quick weekday version. It was like a casserole sort of dish. It's, um, you know, I use chicken thighs. I use some spices. I use some, you know, saucy things. And I put it on the plate. It tasted good, but it did not look good. Fast forward. Recently, I decided to revamp this recipe. 
and we reshot it. We butter seared chicken thighs. We added it to a mirepoix. We added smoked paprika, which has this rich umami smokiness that mm. mimics an all day stew because a classic Hungarian mm. paprikash, you would stew that for all day, eight hours, and it just gets so rich and creamy. And this, we were able to mimic that same process, but in half an hour. And <laughs> we elevated, we served it over buttery mashed potatoes. and. This is a dish that harkens back to my flavor profile that I grew up with, but we have made it more contemporary. We've used traditional flavors, but with modern cooking techniques. And I feel like that's truly one of the elements that we do well, is that we can teach you how to cook so that you can come into your kitchen armed with the knowledge and the confidence that you can replicate that beautiful dish that you see in our photographs in your own kitchen. You said that that uh, dish harks back to your childhood. Who was making that dish for you? My mother. <laughs> my she- mother was a, a very good cook, a very, she inspired me. She's one of my inspirations along <laughs> with Julia Child and Martha Stewart. I mean, I can't, I can't go wrong with that trifecta. <laughs> so, oh, absolutely not. So uh, has she tasted your modern version of it? She has not, sadly. Um, I started this journey a little bit uh, on my own. My mother passed um, about 10 years ago, right after my first child was born. But cooking, especially cooking her foods, was a way that I could bring her to us and show my children our history, but also my mother. This is, you know, because I feel like food is such an essential um, form of love, Mm -hmm. you know, and we had a similar history. I never knew my grandmother's. Um, but my mother would cook my grandmother's recipes and I would see the index cards with the scribbly writing of my grandmother and I felt connected to her and I was able to do that for my kids so that when we're making bread and I have these visions of her, she had very small hands and I have not so small hands, she would lay her hands on my hands and we would learn and I'm now doing that for my children. So this is a way to transport not only memory and flavor but traditions for me to my children and hopefully to my viewers and readers. How important is heritage cooking for you? Because I love that recipe and I love the story behind it and how it's so important to your family heritage. Talk about how important that is and passing stuff like that down. It's funny, if you ask that question to three different cooks, you'll get three different answers. Um, I think, but it, at the root of it, it's, it's culture, it's knowing where you're coming from. It is incredibly important to me because I am the child of, um, I'm first generation American oh. and on my father's side. And he came to this country with very little. Uh, his family came to this country with very little except stories and food. And it was a way to remember and remember good times and not necessarily the hardships that we came from. And It's a way to tap into this food memory that I think we all have. I mean, I'm sure that you must have memories of, uh, you know, mothers and grandmothers cooking with you. I have memories of aunties coming into the kitchen and adding more sugar to the gravy than another auntie coming and putting more salt to the, to the gravy and this, you know, this playful banter through food. So it's incredibly important to me that I maintain not only my heritage for my little family, but to learn of others heritage um, Mm -hmm. recipes and to provide a platform truly to share those with other people. Have you been back to your homeland? I have not. So my family is from all over Europe, but mainly from Ukraine and Czechoslovakia, Estonia, Um, but it's on the agenda. (laughs) Okay. Oh, I hear you because I 100% hear you because I have a lot of traveling I need to do based on that as well. So 
modernizing recipes. Is that something that a lot of uh, food bloggers and recipe developers are doing to cut the time out, make it simpler? Uh, why are so many people, about, why are so many food experts modernizing recipes? What are the main reasons? That's an excellent question, actually. So there's there's several different reasons why. One being we live in such a fast-paced world. We can no longer, you know, most of us are, there isn't a stay-at-home uh, parent or spouse who is who has the time to devote to cooking all day. So we live in this modern age where we go to work, we ha have this amazing career, we ha come home, we may or may not have a family, but we do know that we only have a limited amount of time mm -hmm. to create supper before we have to go on to the next thing. So I think a lot of it is timing. How can we get those flavors in those dishes within the amount of time that we have? Um, I also find that there's a movement right now where so much emphasis on recreating those traditional dishes for a modern era that we sometimes cut too much and we lose the flavor. There's a depth that comes from slow cooking um, and it's a very fine line. Uh, I think there's a time and there's a place for quick 30 minute meals. Goodness knows I have some on my blog and there's also um, a real, it's almost like a sacred space for those Sunday suppers, the ones that take three hours of slow cooking, you know, that beef uh, uh, rib roast with scalloped potatoes and a, a green salad, and you make it a celebration. Even if there's nothing else going on, there's no holiday, that meal is a celebration. I hope that helps to answer your question. No, absolutely. I love it. And I love Sunday dinners. What, yes. is, Sunday dinner, <laughs> what is Sunday dinner for you around your table now? What is that like? That is, um, you know, it's, it's simple, but flavorful. I will do oftentimes a roast chicken with thyme, which is oh. actually only 45 minutes. I will tell you, I, I'm often shooting on the weekends. So I want to create a special time for the family to gather around because truly this is the only time we're together, you know, especially mm -hmm. pre COVID and the restrictions I could count Sunday. That's our day. Okay. Um, so I would make a thyme roasted chicken. I would make a, ooh, I love, um, butter and lemon asparagus if it's mm. in season or a um, a very crisp green salad with a very acidic vinaigrette. I would do, oh goodness, uh, <laughs> I love scalloped potatoes. I love sweet potato casserole. I love uh, things with that incorporate fruit and savory. So you get that sort of savory sweet mix. Um, and I always, always top it off with a decadent dessert. I mean, that's Talk my, for me, that's it. <laughs> Talk about some of those desserts now, Jesse, because I saw on your blog, Straight to the Hips Baby blog, and my goodness, those desserts <laughs> are just, they're incredible. Talk, talk about some of your favorites there and your inspiration behind them. Absolutely. So as the name implies, Straight to the Hip Baby, um, I like butter and I really like sugar. So um my desserts, um, you know, some of my favorites, I, I make this um, toasted sesame cheesecake on a toasted sesame and almond meal crust with a, a dark plum coolie. Mm. Sounds really fancy. Yeah, you can make this. It's just, it's, it's like a peanut butter and jam sort of sandwich, just kaboom, <laughs> into a dessert. It's fabulous. Okay. I love... Um, uh, I have this lemon tart with a graham cracker crust that's beautiful and very zippy. Uh, I mean, it's desserts and cocktails are just, they make me smile every time I make them, whether it's a cookie, a pie, a seven layer cake. I think that with the desserts, 
I can bring that drama back to it in the decorating um, from the stage. It, it's definitely where I kind of released my creativity, um, where the ballerina in me really pops out. Speaking of ballerina, how do you incorporate your professional training as a ballerina into your blog? And I know that's such an odd question, but there has to be a way that's, you know, that is what you've been doing since you were five years old. So how do you bring that part of your life into this blog? Fabulous, fabulous question. You know, <laughs> it's an easy transition. If I've met several uh, food and beverage uh, personalities who were former performers or former professional ballerinas, it's amazing how we find our way. And I think it's because we are so attuned to the details. You know, we spend years standing at a bar performing the same repetitive motions over and over and refining the artistry until it's fluid and smooth and second nature. We are products of musicality, so we have an innate rhythm to us. We have a great memory for knowledge. So if you asked me to get up and dance a couple of measures of a, of a piece from, say, 20 years ago, I probably could if you put the, the music on. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's that focus of detail, of precision of creating something special from nothing. Because when you step on stage, um, in the end, despite all the training, all the practice, it's you. You are the art. You are responsible for creating that experience for the audience. And you are bringing them into this inner world. Because as dancers or any performers, we live in a state where we can transition into our imaginations, just like children. Because you can't inhibit these roles without having a little bit of flexibility, uh, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Are you a perfectionist? I would say happily I am. Uh, I'm very type A, but I giggle a lot. I laugh at myself a lot. And that took some time to get to, but I mean, once you fall straight on your bum in a tutu on stage yeah. in a big theater, there's very little else that can happen <laughs> <laughs> that will get to you. <laughs> So if your pie falls or, you know, you forget the sugar in your next dessert, you laugh and you move forward. Yeah, because let's just get real. Being a ballerina, professional ballerina, that is perfection amplified. And so I have seen competitions with um, pastry chefs and their professionalism and their, they have to be very detail oriented in what they do. And so... My goodness, I can just imagine how intense it is for you putting together these pastries. I know you say you, you laugh if you mess up because you could just do it again. But I, I, I can only imagine the intensity um, <laughs> between, you know, that ballerina background and turned into a pastry chef for a day. What is that like? How are your biscuits? By <laughs> we'll talk my, about that in a second. Bist my biscuits, you said? Uh, yes. I got to learn. Do you have a recipe? I have a. A girlfriend out here who's been wanting to teach me because they're they're miserable. I'll be honest, they're miserable. <laughs> you got a perfect um, now, nice and fluffy and light. I love to eat them. <laughs> if you have any, you want to send them up to me, please, please. <laughs> I My love them with the homemade jam. I mean, I look. I mean, it's. I'll, I'll tell you a story. You're correct. Um, perfectionism is part of the game, right? And I think. Um, one of the examples I had was from early on in blogging, uh, during the macaron phase, you know, the little almond cookies that are filled mm -hmm. with creams and they're French and they're delicious, they're light, they're airy. And I looked at those and I thought, I can do that. I can totally do that. I've been doing this a lot. 
So I follow a, a great recipe. I do all the techniques. I, I'm taking my time. I make my first batch. They come out of the oven. They're perfect. I was like, see, okay. not bad at all. Uh -uh. I'm going to make them for the blog. Follow the steps, do this, make my own recipe, put them in the oven, pull them out. <gasps> Down, gone, nothing, no feet. They were terrible. I said, well, this can't stand. Make them again, put them in the oven, bring them out. Failure. I made oh my <laughs> over three days about eight batches and less about perfection, but more of I'm not going to let a macaron defeat me. <laughs> I ended up leaving that macaron the recipe for three years and returns to it um, and ended up creating a batch after batch after batch because that's the lesson. You learn, you may have to take a step away, but those skills that you learned in that process, you can use again in the future, even if you don't even realize that they're in you. Mm -hmm. And it's that patience. And I think for me, it was the patience being a perfectionist that I needed to learn that sometimes things don't automatically blossom when you want them to blossom. Sometimes you have to grow a little. So how are your macarons now? They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I do say so myself. <laughs> you make them in all kind of fancy colors and flavors. I love that. I do. Uh, my favorite ones and the ones I feature on my blog are cherry cheesecake macarons. Oh, um, uh, they, I love them because I love cheesecake and, but I'm working on a margarita version because um, like a margarita flavored one with like pineapple and lime okay. because cocktails are my second love. In fact, they're quickly gaining to be my first love and what I'm becoming known for is yeah, my was, cocktail recipes and drink recipes. Yeah, I was, I was getting to the cocktails because I have seen <laughs> your creations on your blog and my goodness, let's, let's talk, let's get into that. So how did you get into the cocktail uh, part of straight to the hips baby? Completely by accident. Um, uh, going back to the, the ballerina uh, area, we lived a fairly rigid lifestyle um, because your body is an instrument. So it always has to be very finely tuned. Mm -hmm. So I never um, really drank. I never smoked. Um, and it wasn't until I went to college. That I actually had my I was a late uh, college student. I was 21. So somewhere around 23 because I was a uh, had my career, my mm -hmm. main part of my career. Um, and I had a drink and I was like, this is good. <laughs> what did you but, have? Do you remember what it was? The first cocktail? Oh, drink? it was probably a Cosmo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the time frame. But what, what happened once we fast forward, my husband is a big whiskey and scotch fan. And so I started sipping and sniffing and creating little cocktails. And I developed my palate and I realized that I came to cocktails from a foodie perspective, which is a little bit different than at the time, which was uh, a more liquor forward sort of uh, theory where you wanna make sure the customer feels they have their money's worth of spirit. So oftentimes mm -hmm. you're a little bit heavy handed with your pours. Um, all of my cocktails are very well-rounded. There's layers of sweet, sour, the actual spirit, and then floral. And I found that I just had a knack for it and um, and I've just created. And in fact, I'm running mixology clinics. I'm doing special projects with uh, liquor brands. I'm being um, approached and, and I have been featured in different publications and cocktails are a beast among themselves. 
They're completely different, both in photography, styling, and creation than, say, a recipe for a main dish or a dessert. They're just the chemistry and the composition is so different. And again, it goes back to that challenge of when we spoke about the macarons. You know, mm-hmm. it's that challenge. I love a challenge, something that sort of frustrates me, but it really gives me a kick in the pants to, to try harder. So that's, I love, just love cocktails. And I have to say, now my favorite one is, um, I have a cocktail called the Lemon Gin Flora on Ooh. my blog. It's that bright yellow one with the creamy foam top. If you love gin, and even if you don't like gin and you want to try again, <laughs> try this drink. It will convert you. I love it. I, I I love anything lemony, and I'm a big, well, I'm not a big gin drinker, but I appreciate a good Negroni. Do you take a lot of classic cocktails, speaking of Negronis, and do you kind of dress them up and modernize them and play around to make them your own? Very good. Very good. That's an excellent question because um, I do a little bit of both. So I have, uh, there's only so many base cocktails, right? The classic cocktails, and most cocktails are riffs off of those handful of basics. So um, I definitely have riffed on an April spritz. I have this delicious and juicy, fresh grapefruit April spritz, Um, but you can get really kind of jazzy with the infusions. So Mm -hmm. for simple syrups, that's where you can add a lot of flavor without a lot of pulp or muddying the color. So I love creating, um, I have this maple allspice simple syrup that I add to a bourbon sour that has filtered pure apple juice and fresh orange juice. And it's shaken up and it's like crisp. It feels like it's it's just the best apple uh, drink. You know, leave those apple teenies behind. This is all natural, real flavors. Um I love those gin sours because of the history behind it. They go back to the speakeasies. It's it's one of the very first mixed cocktails that was ever developed. And gin also has a wild history. You can tell I ha- I love history in general, but food history is fascinating to me. Um, you know, all these dreams, there's a, a tequila paloma, the great mm. food, and it's a t- spicy thyme-infused simple syrup. So we're going to take that simple syrup, boil it down. We put fresh thyme into it as well as grapefruit rind. And it's just, it's spicy, it's sweet, it's tart. You know, I want someone to come away from my dreams satisfied and wanting another one, not being like, oof, that was too sweet or oof, that was too sour. They want to order another one. (laughs) I I love it. So happy hour at your house must be a blast. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) When there's time. I I will tell you with three kids at home during quarantine, less happy hours, more of a (laughs) a wine o'clock to survivor clock. Um, so talk about Jesse, um, who are your followers, who the type of people who absorb the material that you're constantly putting out the content on your blog, uh, talk about your audience and, and the feedback that you're getting for your content. It's been really lovely. And I have to say that I run the gamut. I would say that my primary audience, uh, tends to be people in their late twenties through their fifties. These are people that, um, may have a, uh, some knowledge of cooking, but they're looking to uh, bring more into their kitchen. And these are people who are adventurous. They're, they are, there's been a new generation sort of in the kitchen where we're going from cooking for sustenance to cooking for pleasure. And I think that's a really lovely change. Um, and, you know, I get letters and comments. I had the sweetest comment from one of my recent TV appearances where they got so excited actually from that paprikash recipe that we started the show with. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they went out, they bought all the ingredients, they served it to their family, their family kind of gave it the side eye, like, I don't know if I'm going to like this, and huge applause. And they said, this is a keeper. And I love hearing that. I love hearing that I can change someone's mind. I love hearing that I gave them confidence to try the next recipe. I have fans who have worked their way through my entire index. And they'll give me, you know, I want to be, I love the friendship and family aspect of it because they write me notes. They tell me, hey, I tried this, you know, apple and orange bourbon sour today. I can't wait to try your next bourbon drink. Or, hey, I made that five layer cake. And I got to tell you, it was worth it. So my readers are enthusiastic. They, male, female, cooks, non-cooks, they all have the love of food and cocktails. I love it. You talked about your index and how big is that index right now? Do you have any idea? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, I think it's well over 130 recipes, original recipes. These are my recipes, um, which... um, I, I'm proud of. It might be more at this point. We did a a, a blog uh, relaunch last April, and uh, and that's when I had to go through every line and, and figure out it what was staying, what was going. That was April April 2020. Okay. We did a brand new right before the pandemic. Okay. <laughs> Took hold. You know that index. I still dive into that index to make my supper. I mean, it's so handy to have that because we have holiday uh, content. We have food. Um, related contents like uh, delving deep into coffee producers that are local to my area or uh, farmers or mixologists. We also have full menus. I do um, some lifestyle content around creating a menu, the perfect menu or your holiday tablescape or even floral arranging because I just love playing with flowers, which is something, a theme that you'll see on my blog with all the photos is we have a big floral element. So I like to transition that. but yeah, that index, it's I'm waiting and I'm hoping and I'm planning. Uh, I'm preparing a book and uh, several shows and clubhouse clubs. And um, you can always find the latest and greatest that I'm working on on Instagram. My handle is straight to the hips baby. Or you can find me on clubhouse at uh, STTH baby. I'm always looking for new friends um, and learning. And yeah, I think. I have to say that each time that I revisit one of my recipes, I learn something new. Like I tweak and I change and I update. So it's always fresh. Well, Jesse Sierra, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. I cannot wait to dig into your index and see some of these recipes for food and drinks, especially since you're so encouraging and telling me that it's not going to be that difficult. So I really appreciate that. (laughs) Absolutely. This has been an absolute pleasure. Congratulations. And an amazing, amazing time. And yeah, you write me if you have any questions or you yes. need some suggestions. I will send you a cocktail recipe. I want it. Thank you so much. So thank you so much. I look forward to chatting with you soon, seeing you around the clubhouse because that's a part, that's where we met and seeing you on Instagram and uh, good luck with everything and good luck with your, your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Well, that does it for our first episode. It was an absolute blast talking with Jessie. Now, don't forget to check out her website, straighttothehipsbaby.com. We're back next Friday and every Friday. Think of it as feast and fashion on Friday. Okay? But next time, we're going to have Marcus Ford. He is a great chef. 
in his next interview coming up. His clientele includes heavy hitters across the globe, including one with a net worth of $10 billion. Chef Marcus Ford, stop by, and if you like indulgence, then this is the episode for you. Thank you so much for listening to the debut episode of Feast and Fashion on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adasha Townsend. We'll talk to you again every Friday.